Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Forward Thinking Podcast. I am Xander Broffel, Director of Marketing Ops at CS2. Joining me today to talk about our product methodology and team alignment is my very good friend, fellow Director of Marketing Ops, Joy Martinez. How are you doing, Joy? (laughs) Very good. Thank you. Happy Friday, Xander. Happy Friday. We made it. Another week. (laughs) How are you doing this week? I'm doing really good. And I'm really excited to talk about this topic. Um, I feel like this is something that we kind of live and breathe here at CS2. And I think um, it's a great uh, education point for um, a lot of people that are listening to the podcast. So excited to talk about it. Absolutely. When I when I joined CS2 for the very first time, I definitely learned a few new things around this methodology um, that I found to be very helpful. So I think that our listeners are going to really enjoy the topic today. Um, so, you know, we have we have talked about this a lot on the podcast. A lot of organizations, there's misalignment, there's issues that are running amok. And we typically go to it's an organizational problem right? Let's build a revenue operations team and let's get everybody reporting into the same person and it's going to solve all of our problems. At CS2, it's not that we dislike revenue operations. Revenue operations is fantastic, but it's it's not necessarily solving the full problem. And that is why we introduced what we call the product framework. Like every good marketing uh, product, it is an acronym. Um, and, and product is standing for, and we will deep dive into each of these topics It is standing for prioritization, roadmap, outcomes, being very outcome focused, documentation, user experience, continuous improvement, and team structure and alignment. So you'll notice team structure and alignment is definitely still a part of this conversation, but there are many other elements uh, that we have introduced with this as well. So Joy, before we go deep dive into everything, just give us like a high level overview of, of what is the product methodology and how should people be thinking about it? Yeah. So the product methodology um, is really running your operations, your marketing or rev up operations department as a product. Um, so I think a lot of marketers have a project mindset. Um, and so we're kind of recommending to have a product uh, mindset. So thinking of a project mindset really makes me think of there's a start and there's a finish. We start doing something, we're doing it, and then it ends and we move on to the next project. Um, And so product mindset really is focused around the, the ongoing, the longevity. We never really have, we might have some things that start and finish, but there's also optimizations. There's you know, um, improvements along the way. We are thinking of it holistically within the goals of the company. We have a roadmap that we have developed that we're working towards that we continually develop over time and, you know, try to achieve those wins for for the company as a whole. And you're just going to keep optimizing and it's just going to keep changing and evolving. And so it's more of an evolving mindset, um, continuous improvement, focused on the user experience versus a start and an end of a project. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about all of the, all of the work that we do around life cycle projects. Cause it's, it's something that's very common for a lot of our clients to be working on and you're never truly done. Yeah. 
you're always trying to find new ways. We we discover new ways to go about uh, reporting on the life cycle or building out future improvements. So it's kind of continually revisiting that. Um, mm-hmm. So that way, you know, it's, it doesn't become stale and stagnant. Yeah. My favorite example is always thinking about scoring. Like scoring is always iterative. I say it's always iterative. It's always iterative. Like we're going to continue to get that feedback loop from sales. The marketing's going to change and make improvements. And it's like this continual process. And if you don't make it that way, you're going to, you know, like I, you probably have come to to find this as well, but you know, I'll walk into a client instance and they haven't changed their scoring in a year. And, you know, it's just kind of this static thing that we say we're doing lead scoring, but we aren't really doing it. Um, But that's a good example to just keep iterating and optimizing, get that feedback loop and, and keep going. What a great, what a great, um, analogy there. Um, so let's, let's dive into some of the specifics um, around product. Uh, let's start with P, P standing for prioritization. What does good prioritization look like, Joy? Yeah. So I personally love to use like an impact effort matrix um, and have your priorities and what you're working on um, aligned to the company goals. So you know, there's a lot of things that a marketing app department could work on, right? <laughs> Probably till we're blue in the face, but you've got to prioritize and come up with the projects that um, are going to make an impact for the company and align to where the company's going. So, um, you know, if you struggle with prioritizing, especially if you're getting a lot of ad hoc requests that are coming in, um, using that impact effort matrix is one of my favorite things where you kind of just look at how much impact is this going to make for the organization uh, or have on the organization and also how much um, effort is this going to take to to get done and how long is it going to take to get it done? <laughs> um, and you can kind of, you know, create your own little rating scale for that to be able to prioritize appropriately. And that's always been helpful for me. How often do you revisit your prioritization? Um, I like to think of it as like kind of living, breathing. I mean, if you're not looking at it at least every quarter, like you're probably not looking at it enough, Um, but you may have things that really just pop up with the business or significantly change things like COVID that you can't predict that happened in the market. And so you may have to revisit your priorities, you know, more frequently than that. Uh, But at a bare minimum, I would, I would do it quarterly. Absolutely. And it's so important to stick to it, which is, which is the, I, I find to be the hardest part. I don't like saying no. I hate yeah. saying no. It's, it's definitely <laughs> not a strength of mine. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, when you, when you don't say no to something, you are saying no to something else. And yes. you shouldn't be saying no to the things that you have agreed on to prioritize. Mm-hmm. So when you do this exercise, don't just do it yourself. It's not a MOPS prioritization or a right. RevOps prioritization. It's a business prioritization. So, you know, depending on where your influence lies, you have to make sure that you have all of your leadership team aligned with what those priorities are. So that way they can push back because everybody's job is to ask for stuff. But, you know, if if the entire organization is behind what is a priority, you will be more effective at saying no. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, I've seen that where marketing's created their priorities and then you go talk to sales and you're like, oh, what are your priorities? That should never be the discussion. It should always just be a collective effort where everybody's marching to the same beat of the drum and, you know, working towards the same goals. Because otherwise, 
you know, um, you might have one team, uh, maybe a Salesforce team or your sales team pushing back, like, why are we doing this? Or, you know, they don't want to make time to prioritize it, but it's a priority for you. And you're like, what? this doesn't make sense. It's because you've done it in a silo, right? Yeah. That's like a big key that like, mm, we didn't go about this the right way. Um, but I've seen it that way. And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's something that companies definitely probably struggle with, but hopefully we can inspire you to, you know, do it with alignment and and reach out to those stakeholders and build those relationships um, ongoing every day. You know, I always think too of like, you know, when I'm meeting with sales teams or um, even, you know, the customer success or anything like that, like I'm a person, they're people, right? Let's just build relationships. Let's get to know them. What are their hobbies? What do they like to do in their free time? And the more that you like get to know somebody and build that internal relationship, the easier it is to get that alignment and work together and build these goals together and prioritize on the same page yeah. uh, because you've already built that relationship. It's not going to feel, you know, weird when you come together and feel like you're forced to kind of work together. So. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in the day and age where a lot of us are remote, that that is a lot harder. Yeah. I always find it so much easier when I could just go <laughs> yeah. over to somebody's desk and yeah. you know, have the water some of those, cooler talk that yeah. we miss out on now. Yeah. Have some of the <laughs> informal discussions, but you know, it's important. If you're starting a meeting, take a couple of minutes, you know, if it's appropriate and 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 build up that that rapport for sure. Yeah. So prioritization then very naturally transitions into road mapping. So let's talk about that. What does a what does a, a successful roadmap look like? Yeah. So your priorities should really drive your roadmap. That seems kind of obvious, um, but you want to do at least a quarterly, um, really a, a first half, second half of the year, or three quarters out if you can. Sometimes it's hard to roadmap for an entire year, um, especially like maybe early startups that are super fast moving. Things are changing very quickly or even certain markets. Um, like, uh, you know, I work with a client that, you know, they really came about because of COVID. Um, and so there's just changing market conditions that might change too often for you to plan that far out. But if you can at least do like a first half and you're looking at least two quarters out of what your plan is and continually keep the two quarter out mindset, I think that's helpful. Um, I also think it's helpful to think of it again, back to like the product mindset about this, of how product teams put out releases, right? So as you're building your roadmap, you can always V1, V2, V3 it, right? You don't have to have a hundred percent perfect solution at your first release. You can have maybe this quarter we're working on launching these particular features and the next quarter we're going to optimize and add on this and the quarter after that we're going to add on this and you can think of it like product releases um, and that makes it feel also a little less overwhelming I feel like because you're planning more towards major milestones um, versus oh we have to launch lead scoring like that's huge that there's so many steps that go into something like that. Mm -hmm. And so if you break it down and you break it down into, you know, different versions or product releases, if you will, um, I find that that's helpful. And then also probably the number one important piece on this roadmap is to get executive buy-in and not just from your department, right? Like if you are in marketing and you roll up to the CMO, 
that's not just getting CMOs buy-in, that's getting the C-suite buy-in, right? Mm -hmm. And so we just talked about working with other departments, but we should really be presenting to leadership and getting all of leadership's buy-in, not just our leader that we report up through. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and kind of that step before getting the executive team, I always recommend is getting buy-in with your sales ops team, with the rev ops team, with your customer success ops team, mm -hmm. like get all of the ops team speaking the same language and working toward the same goals. Because at the end of the day, what you're doing in marketing ops is going to require assistance from the sales ops team. And mm -hmm. if they don't end up having priority, now you are that stakeholder who says, well, it's my priority. Why isn't it your priority? Yeah. Like, you have a responsibility <laughs> to loop in those stakeholders yeah. and make sure that you're going to actually be able to be successful with it. Yeah. Because if, if my project requires you to also do XYZ to help this get launched, like, we have to work together. And, you know, when you are presenting your roadmap to leadership, it should never be your people that you work with on a daily basis through these other departments. It should never be their first time seeing your roadmap, right? Like yeah. you're working together. Everybody's part of the, the WIP, the work in progress roadmap, right? <laughs> the draft roadmap. And it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody, um, even for leadership, right? Like, your CMO should know like what you're working to maybe prioritize. And then like, it's just a seal of approval at the end. Like, yep, this is fine tuned. This looks great. It's, it's not a big surprise. Right. And exactly. for the companies that have um, a board to report to and need to present these, you know, roadmaps potentially to a board of directors. I mean, that definitely shouldn't be the first time that leadership is seeing it be while, <laughs> while you might be helping to present to the board. So um, I just believe in not having surprises and the more that you're in alignment, the less um, surprise there's going to be about what's exactly. going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you seen any like painful approaches to road mapping? Any, any well, issues? Yeah, yes, I have, Xander. Great question. Um, yes, um, I, I find it too, especially, um, I mean, in marketing ops or RAV ops, you may have like a ticketing system for things to look into or troubleshoot or whatever. And I find that if the focus is solely on those types of ticketing systems where you're just intaking these ad hoc requests, they can really throw off your focus of your roadmap items, if you don't have enough dedicated, you know, support to help, you know, the little day-to-day -day ticketing things coming in. Um, and so while it is beneficial to have a ticketing system because it can help prove the headcount that you might need to get, to get approval for in the budget and things like that, it should never be the driver of your roadmap, these, you know, incoming things, right? So I think just like the day-to-day -day stuff that's very easy to get distracted from is the number one thing that can throw off your roadmap. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I believe in them from a headcount perspective and they are necessary to kind of automate all the incoming requests that you may be receiving through all these different channels, but um, it should never be the roadmap. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I, I have gone so far as to dedicate a, an, a percentage of my capacity toward those things. Yeah. So when I am doing sprint planning or anything like that, that I am thinking through, okay, 70% of my work is going to be roadmap based. Right. I'm going to give myself 30%. And then if we need to start going over that 30%, 
that's when we need to have start start having conversations of is does this take priority over that? Um, yeah. And you still have to do it. I mean, thirty percent isn't that much time in a given week, depending on how, you know what your overall capacity is. You're not you're never going to take everything that comes in and be able to successfully get it done. Yeah. So that incoming ticketing system should never be the thing that 100% takes up your time. I think your tip on taking a percentage and knowing that if the incoming requests are starting to put you over the edge of what you agreed to, hey, 30% of my time is towards this. Or if you're very lucky, you may have a dedicated resource on your team just to like handle the incoming tickets. Wouldn't that be a dream? Although that might get awfully, <laughs> awfully boring for that person eventually, right? They may want to start doing some more strategic work. But, um, you know, I think as long as you aren't letting it completely throw off your roadmap, you're still sticking to the majority of your time being on those roadmap items and continuing to show progression towards them. Um, then you're doing the right thing. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, to, to piggyback on, on just one thing, if you find that you're getting a lot of the same sort of tickets, hmm. you know, I, I love all of my partners in ops, but we really love just quick fixing things and then moving on to the next thing. And I have, I have spoken with people in sales ops where they are like, oh yeah, this has been a problem for three years. I'm like, well, who knows that it's a problem? And you spend <laughs> how many hours of, on it when we could do like a six hour project and fix it for you. Let's get that project on the roadmap. So that way you can stop spending, you know, the six hours every month on the quick fixes. So right. it's definitely something to, you know, coach to your team or coach to your peers on. Mm -hmm. If you see an issue, don't just don't just settle for the quick fix and the manual override figure out what the root cause is and let's see if it's something that's actually pointing to a larger issue. Totally. Yeah. Um, so kind of thinking through uh, some of this, uh, the O of the product methodology is mm. outcomes measured. Uh, what a, what a phrase and a statement there. <laughs> um, outcomes measured is really thinking about the end at the beginning right? What is it yep. that we're actually trying to get out? So Joy would love to know, like, like, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into this. How can people really get that outcome focused methodology? Yeah. I mean, to your point, think of it in the beginning when you're setting those priorities, you know, what are we expecting to achieve? What outcomes are we looking to achieve? And how are we going to measure to know if we reach that outcome? How do we know if we got to success, right? of whatever that version is, you know, what does that success look like? And then being able to know that you have the, the metrics to be able to track against it and be able to communicate that in a way like, you know, we, we talk about like C-suite speak, right? <laughs> we don't, they don't need to know, oh, we're built. I'm just going to use this example because it's easy. We keep going back to it. We're going to build lead scoring great. Like that means nothing, right? Like the outcome of having a scoring model built doesn't mean anything unless you really drill down to what does this mean? Um, I kind of uh, think of it as a, uh, I guess a metaphor that I learned years ago on um, the sock metaphor. Have you ever heard that before? No. Where it's like, it's, it's not the sock that you're bringing to people. It's the benefit to not have cold feet. 
okay, and then what would the benefit of cold feet give you? Well, you're more comfortable, you're more relaxed because now your feet are no longer cold, right? And it's sort of like continue to drill down because you're not selling the sock, you're selling the ability to not have cold feet, which will make you feel more comfortable. And like you keep kind of drilling down. That's a very mm -hmm. basic example. But when you're talking about benefits or features and the benefits that go with those features, that's really what you're thinking about when you're thinking about what outcomes are we going to measure and what is, what kind of impact is this going to bring the organization, right? Yeah. Well, maybe lead scoring is going to help uh, the SDR team better qualify leads. Okay, well, what would that mean if the SDR team could better qualify leads? Let's drill down a step lower. Well, it means we're going to drive more pipeline because they're going to be higher quality, you know, leads for them to follow up on. Great. Well, if we had more pipeline, we could close more business, right? So it just keeps going down. And really, C-suite are worried about a few things at the end of the day. They're worried about pipeline and revenue and ROI. So, you know, tie it to those things, keep drilling down, don't sell the sock, sell the benefits of the sock. And so that's kind of my tip on how to kind of drill down and find out what kind of outcomes you want to measure and how you're going to communicate that up to leadership. I think another another benefit that you can focus on um, outside of uh, revenue is is the customer experience. I think that that, you know, from a CEO perspective, that's one of their number one priorities is making sure that your customers have the right experience. So there's certainly yeah. things that, you know, have both a benefit to um, to the outcomes of more revenue. And it's usually because, you know, better customer experience means that you're going to have better uh, revenue, but um, definitely think about that both from an external facing customer. Primarily, um, you can have that conversation about internal stakeholders, um, but that's that's more difficult to get through an executive buy in of, hey, it's going to make our team better. They're like, well, there's a lot of ways that we can make our team better and I have to figure <laughs> yeah. out all of those. So if you can tie it back to figure the, it out with the current team. customer, you're <laughs> yeah. going to be much better off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. That's fantastic. Um, so the the other piece of outcomes that I always like to go back to is is right at the initial intake. How often do we get requests from people who are like, I need to integrate this tool? And then the first question that you ask is like, what goal does it align to? What's the outcome that you're looking for? And they don't have an answer. You know, if they don't have an answer at the intake process, it's probably yeah. not worth the investment to go through and actually build that out. Even if it's not on the roadmap, it's in that 30%, like mm -hmm. always start with why. And and it's yeah. not an aggressive why. It is a, I need to figure out how this aligns to our priorities as a business. And if, and if mm -hmm. you can't answer that, then it's just a want. Then it's not a priority. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. And, and that means we're not going to do it, right? Or, or maybe very later on, if we do get it aligned to a priority, but it's definitely not, you know, going to make it on the uh, short list. No, so. no, absolutely not. <laughs> Good. Uh, anything else around outcomes measured that you want to uh, focus on? I don't think so. No? Okay, fantastic. Um, documentation. Hey, as a matter of hey. fact, you and I, we had a wonderful... <laughs> Uh, a podcast episode around documentation and enablement. Um, but we do want to give a, a brief synopsis of that conversation mm -hmm. in case if you have not had a chance to listen to it yet. Um, 
Joy, documentation is a passion of yours and a great skill. I will say I leverage your documentation when I'm building my own documentation quite often. <laughs> so talk to me. What does good documentation look like? Yeah. Well, I do love good documentation. And thinking again as this product mindset and a product that, you know, we're releasing these, you know, milestones in our roadmap and our priority list, documentation of what we did, why we did it, um, any discovery that we did up front, what were the results of that? And then you can keep iterating on it because again, some projects that we work on span many months or even sometimes years, and you can just continue to build to that living, breathing playbook as we talked about as documentation, right? Not something that just sits on your shelf so that we have that knowledge transfer. Like if you were to leave the company and you did that whole thing and you didn't document it. Now we're like, what was done? Why was it done? Like, how does this work? You know, and there's all these questions because you don't have any of that documented. And so thinking of it as your playbook that aligns to your priorities and your roadmap, we're going to just continue to iterate, get a good template, put something in place, start, you know, just start, right? If you mm -hmm. haven't started, just start um, and, you know, figure out a way that you want to store it. And just put some of the basics in place so that you can document what happened, why it happened, when it happened, you know, the details around it, and then just continue to add as you optimize and go. Fantastic. Yes. It's got to be a living, breathing document. It's something that you should leverage. Um, I love being able to go back when I, whenever I get questions on how something works and that if I can actually reference the documentation, um, mm -hmm. it both teaches people how to fish and they go and they maybe will search for the documentation first, um, mm -hmm. but it ultimately saves you time. You don't have to copy and paste or write out the same answer five times after you launch a pro uh, after you launch a feature. Yeah, sure. And just point to that, that document. Exactly. Um, so documentation, like I say, we go very deep into documentation. Uh, definitely check out the previous episode. If you have not listened to that yet, uh, we have some great recommendations there. Uh, and then we also go into training and enablement, which, which mm -hmm. oftentimes goes hand in hand with documentation. Sure. Going back to the product methodology, uh, to mm -hmm. the next the U is user experience. And I mentioned user experience from an outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, getting it in front of your C in front of your C-suite. This is maybe a little bit different of a view on user experience as well. Um, user experience being very focused on what the journey is that somebody's going to go through. Uh, so mm -hmm. Joy, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, so usually when you have more of a product focus, you are very people focused. What is the experience going to be like? This is why there's um, UX teams that live in product departments, right? Um, and there should be that same experience within marketing operations as well. So, you know, I would say companies that are focused on just like a process and data and tech, while you do pro focus on all three of those in marketing operations, it should never be the sole focus, right? We shouldn't be thinking about, oh, like, we really think we need this ABM tool. What tool do you think we should get? Oh, well, I have this relationship with this person at such and such company. Let's go ahead and get that tool, right? That would be the completely wrong way to go about it. You could think of, okay, well, this does this even make sense for the organization and what our roadmap and priorities are? Um, is this going to enhance the experience somehow, 
right? Mm -hmm. Is this piece of technology that we spend a lot of time integrating, troubleshooting, you know, working with and and making the data flow properly, is this going to impact us in a positive way? And is this going to impact our users in a positive way, right? And create a better experience with working with us. Um, and so I think if you can kind of keep just the people first mentality um, and always go back to, is this going to benefit our users or improve, you know, that experience in some way? Um, you'll, it's just a lot more product mindset versus project where you're like, oh, I want to get this tool. We're going to integrate it. It's their start and an end. That's a project mindset and just not something that is going to help stay aligned with your priorities necessarily. And if it really is a piece of tech that you want to implement, for example, you probably should be talking about the strategy that's behind that tech long before mm -hmm. you evaluate the tech, buy the tech, integrate the tech, <laughs> you know, there's all these steps. And, and if you keep that people first mentality, um, and if you think of both users from your external users and your internal users, right? Cause there's some things that we may do that just are going to help benefit the organization as a whole and our internal users and the experience of how we go about doing things and just efficiencies, operational efficiencies for the company. Um, and that's just as beneficial as our external experience that we're providing as well. So, um, you know, kind of think about both ends of that when you're thinking about user experience. I, I, I often think about database management and just data quality, um, especially in this mindset, because it's, it, it's very easy to disconnect data with experience, mm -hmm. data with operations, and they always go hand in hand, right? So, so as an example, if you, if you find that you have a duplicate problem, when you are mm -hmm. explaining why you might need to either invest in a tool or invest in, in a, a, you know, prioritizing fixing this problem, um, don't just focus on, hey, the database has this many duplicates and it's costing us X amount of dollars when we go to the renewal for the marketing automation platform or, or anything like that. Focus on what's happening to your end users. I have duplicates. This person has unsubscribed seven times, but they're in our database five different ways. As a result, mm -hmm. they are getting frustrated because they think that they are opting out and we are not connected with all of this data. That right there tells a much more compelling story to somebody and, and is something that you should be focused on. Um, I think I, I, I speak with a lot of people who are in operations who think like, uh, you know, if I think about like CSAT, if I have a, if I have a, a corporate mm -hmm. goal of increasing CSAT, when I was in, when I was in house and doing mops, I felt very disconnected from that until I started flipping that mindset into mops has a lot to do with customer experience and customer mm -hmm. satisfaction. So making sure that we are kind of putting that focus forward is, is key. Yeah, for sure. Um, taking a look at, you know, poor, poor experience, just always wanting to make sure that we are, that we are not just looking at it of here's the problem. It's a process problem, but, but really bringing in those key stakeholders, um, surveys, conversations, uh, walk alongs, screen shares, all of those things can definitely mm -hmm. help. Yeah. Great tips. <laughs> looking at the, uh, at the next one, C for continuous improvement. We did touch on that quite a bit already. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, it's never done. Right, Joy? No, it's never done. Um, you know, it, 
thinking of continuous improvement, iterations, optimizations, whatever word you want to use, um, you know, development cycles might be used, you know, in a product team, right? So think of, especially the very high priority projects that you might be working on. Um, and the larger the project, likely the more versions or iterations that you may have too, right? Mm -hmm. And usually always the first thing that you put in market is never the most perfect thing, right? Like you might launch a new product entirely or a new feature. And that is not like, you know, you think about an Apple phone. This has iterated how much for how many years, right? Over time. And it's because of all those iterations and optimizations. And think of how long this iPhone has been on the roadmap for Apple, right? There's projects that are going to be on our marketing app roadmap that may be very long as well. And we, you know, support not just the how the operations work internally, but how we are supporting that experience externally and how we're supporting the product team itself too and mm -hmm. the the products and the features that we release into market as well. And so, you know, the more that you can kind of think of uh, continual just improvement and that we're just continuously improving and having just that mindset of, um, you know, let's do our best at each release, but that it's okay. We, it, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Let's do our best at that release. And then the next release, we do our best as well. And yeah. then the next release, we do our best as well and kind of keep that train of thought here at CS2. I'm even thinking of how we project manage, you know, some of our uh, client work. So um, if you're, you know, PMing your, your ops work internally, we have what we call a uh, project status and a development stage. So we'll put our task and our, and our PM tool to like an in-progress status. That's a status of the project. But then we also will say if we're in discovery mode uh, or maybe backing up like this is an idea and then it's in planning and then we have the kickoff and then we have discovery and then we have development and then we have monitoring and, you know, we have all these development stages. So we utilize that here at CS2 just to think of a, a singular task, right? Yeah. Being part of that development cycle as well as having a project status. That's fantastic. Yes. Uh, and, and you can clearly communicate that then to your stakeholders so that they understand exactly yep. where it's at. You can also time box it. Cause I think that a lot of, a lot of, mm. you know, I, I remember always having conversations of like, this is going to take too long. And it's like, usually it takes a long time in the requirements gathering. The build is almost always the quickest thing. You do a yeah. lot of, a, a lot of time, planning and ideation and getting all of the details into place. You build it really quick and then it's a long time of testing and deployment and monitoring and sustain. So yep, um, if sure. you can show those different milestones, it's just like an opportunity management. It's yeah, good to it see also, start and stop. It also kind of helps you think of like, um, uh, you know, again, kind of going back to the two mindsets, a project mindset, there's a start and an end with the product mindset and you're thinking of a development cycle, like you do have, I, I think a lot of stages post go live that are forgotten a lot of times. And so when you know that, okay, we've tested, we went live, 
we have the monitoring, we have optimizations, we have monitoring, we have optimizations, and you're continuing to add in those additional stages, it helps you to not forget to do them, A, yeah. which is helpful, right? Like, oh, shoot, we launched that, you know, thing, and we never did check to make sure that there weren't, you know, incoming issues, even though it tested fine when we tested it, you know, because yeah. there always could be maybe nuances or situations or use cases or scenarios that you didn't really maybe even think of when you did your UAT. And it's like, oh, surprise, like now this isn't flowing, right? Or maybe something broke later on or whatever, or, you know, maybe there's something manual going on that you thought was happening one way and then, you know, it's happening a different way and it's causing some errors. So, you know, continual monitoring on those items is important. And when you are thinking of it in terms of releases, that monitoring is just baked in. It's not like, oh, why do we have to keep going back to this thing that we did months ago? It's like, well, no, because that's part of the mindset and that's part of ensuring that we're getting the very best product at the end of the day. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So the last piece of our product methodology is the first thing that I started the conversation with, which is what a lot of organizations will do is they will just tackle this with a team structure. And that is not to say that team structure is not a part of the equation. It is a very important part of the equation. So T for the product methodology is team structure and alignment. Mm -hmm. How can I build out a strong team and what should I be thinking about with the people that are either working within my organization or my peers uh, uh, across the operations and business aisles? Yeah. So few ideas I have around this. Um, and again, so important, even though it's the teen, it's last, it's really not last, it's right? Not. <laughs> um, very important part of it. So I think having very clear, distinct roles is important, roles and responsibilities within the team, right? Um, everybody should know the part, the part that they play. Um, not that you can't play other parts from time to time, but everybody should know the important parts that they play in the equation and um, know exactly what's expected of them. I think that's a big piece of having a strong team structure is just knowing what it's expected of you so that you can reach those things. Because if you didn't even know that was part of your responsibility, then it may just get set on the wayside and then it's nobody's responsibility because nobody's doing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's important. And then um, a skills gap as well. Um, and here's CS2. We love to kind of look at improving our skills. We're, we're big on, continuing education, if you will, <laughs> and always improving ourselves and, and, you know, being the best for our clients. And so, you know, we do like a skills assessment um, worksheet where it's, it's self um, reported information, right? Like we rate ourselves on how well we think our, we are in certain areas and it might be very technical skills all the way to soft skills. Right. Um, and so kind of, taking a gauge of who you have on your team, what their roles and responsibilities are, where their skills and their strengths lie, because especially a lot of, um, which we have another episode on strengths that I talked to Chrissy on. So if you want, go check out more on that. But um, your strengths, a lot of times, those are just obviously very innate, natural to you. They're your go-to always. And so it's going to be the go-to way that you communicate with others. It's going to be the go-to way that you think, feel, behave, and work. And so understanding people's strengths and, and understanding their skills that they have, their soft skills, their technical skills, 
will help you know how to coach your team. Like if you're a manager and you're trying to develop and coach your direct reports, right? That will give you the, the power to do that. Um, here at CS2 as well, like we have our caffeine and brain um, sessions where we like to um, talk about projects that we've done. We might bring in a vendor to train on a specific technology. Um, but by seeing that strengths um, matrix and kind of seeing our skills gaps that we may have, um, we are now able to kind of build an education and training program to be able to, you know, help everybody. Um, it's like, what is that saying where you're like raising all the boats at the same time? Raising tides li <laughs> lift all ships, I think is what yes. it is. <laughs> Thank you. Um, right? Because we all are benefiting and getting trained in these areas. And, you know, those of us who may want to really skill up, it's really beneficial, but it's good reminders for just everybody, right? Yeah. And so doing kind of a strengths and skills assessment to be able to understand your training and education, um, which we talked a lot about the training in our in our other episode. Um, and also just really being able to figure out, do we have the right people on staff? Like, you know, always in marketing ops, you need somebody that's a really strong analyst, analyst that can really dig into the reporting and the insights and, and bring those insights um, from the data. And maybe that's a weak area for you. So, you know, you either need to invest in training, right? To train up and skill up in those areas with the people that you have, or maybe you need to, you know, request a headcount for that particular, you know, um, role and responsibility. So um, that's kind of one thing I would start with. The other thing is um, this idea of a coalition, which I really like because um, especially to help gain alignment, this goes more with the alignment of things. Um, like I have a client who's like, hey, can you help me with our biweekly demand uh, meeting, right? Or pipeline council or whatever you call it, but it's these coalitions of people. It's maybe C-suites or leadership or maybe the day-to-day -day, um, of different areas. So you might have somebody from marketing ops, you might have somebody from sales, you might have somebody from customer success, you might have somebody from you know uh, the revenue team, Like, and we're all meeting together at a regular cadence to discuss the same core metrics that are all tied to our roadmaps and priorities that we share, right? And um, we have those consistent schedule we have measurable goals that we're discussing and really having honest conversations around the things that matter to the company, which in a lot of cases are pipeline revenue ROI, yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, you know, focusing kind of on building a team. And if your company doesn't have one, like, you know, go ahead and try to start one. You know, um, I, I even think just, those of us that are in the day-to-day -day who may not be in a leadership position have a lot of influence to be able to really create something like this. So don't be afraid to, to build it if you don't have one. Absolutely. I, and, and you can start small, you know, bring in mm -hmm. a few of the stakeholders that you're already working with, get a regular cadence, review incoming tickets, talk about priorities, and then build that up over time. Um, mm -hmm. I know I, I started mine uh, with sales operations, and then we brought in analytics, then we brought in customer success. And by the end of it, we had a good core team of five or six people all across the organization who were very well in lockstep. So when we would get requests from mm -hmm. our leadership, we could say, well, let's go back to the coalition 
mm-hmm. then we can figure out, you know, where this sits in the overall business priority. And then we could go back to the teams, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, a couple of things to, to add on there. Sometimes headcount isn't possible. Um, you know, we will say that uh, we are an agency, so it may be bringing in a third party to help uh, augment that. There's great sure. organizations that you can work with for operations, for analytics, for, you know, campaign operations and campaign X. Sometimes you're so busy just trying to run the business that you can't improve the business. And mm. so bringing in a team that can help just maintain all of the, you know, program requests so that you can focus on more roadmap type of items can go a long way. And, and, and we say this in, in overall prioritization and roadmap by establishing what the priorities are, you can have a more meaningful conversation with your executive team, with your finance team to say, we have too much work for a team of one or a team of two here, Mm -hmm. here's some options to, you know, get all of the work done that we need to have, or we need to have a conversation around what is actually going to be on the roadmap or not. Um, it's much easier to have that conversation mm-hmm. than just saying, I need headcount because everybody's doing yeah. that. So yeah. come to the table with data and you're going to be more successful. Yeah. And come to the table table with not even just the data, but the impact of what this additional headcount would mean, right? And how this would impact adding on this other thing that you know was pretty high priority that maybe didn't make it into the roadmap because we just don't have enough people to accomplish that much yeah you know you can move a lot faster uh, i mean not i wouldn't say it's a hard set rule that just because you have more people you can move faster because right if you're, if you're not structured properly <laughs> uh it can actually really slow things down um but if you have the right people in the right seats and you've thought about the structure and you've made your case for needing that additional headcount and it makes sense to impact the roadmap in a certain way then that's a lot easier way to probably get that headcount approved um, because you've you've proven and shown that data uh, versus just, you know, hey, we need another person. Like, we're busy over here, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, what does that mean again, right? Drill down, make it make sense for that C-suite speak. Fantastic. Um, Joy, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, is there any kind of sending thoughts that you would like to leave our audience today? Yeah, I mean, if uh, I would say, if you aren't in a product mindset today, and you're more working on the project mindset, and you may feel misalignment, or, you know, uh, your roadmaps and priorities are all kind of separate and segregated and into your departments today. um, Don't be afraid to be the person to speak up, right? You know, um, either leadership, should, uh, you know, really see that as a great quality um, of how you can, you know, you care about the business and how you can improve it, right? And that you want to help be a part of improving and changing the business. Um, And so if you don't have that today, don't be afraid to be the one to speak up and make that change, right? Sometimes change doesn't happen without us. So go for it. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Joy. You've been listening to the Forward Thinking Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please do leave us a review. It helps get our message across to a wider audience, and we very much appreciate it. We hope that you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening.